We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. A talented film critic, photographer, and podcaster based in England, Leslie Byron Pitt has written for Set the Tape and Empire Magazine and has also been published on Bonzilla, Film Stories, and Little White Lies Online. Additionally featured on Inside Cinema for the BBC iPlayer when he isn't writing, doing expressive photography, or creating new pieces for print, Leslie can be found on the erotic thriller podcast Fatal Attractions. A returning guest from early in season two when we did a really thoughtful episode devoted to three unique tales of human connection on screen. Leslie, I so enjoyed that conversation and I'm very happy to have you back. So how are you doing and how's 2023 treating you so far? At the moment, hi. Um, hi. At the moment, 2023 is treating me okay, touch wood. Yes. Um, Knocking on wood. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> lots of been a difficult couple of uh, couple of years since when we when we actually recorded. Um, mm. So we're kind of coming out now, and we're we're in an interesting place right now, and we're going to see where everything kind of picks up from um, next month, really, more than anything else. So, yeah. Well, what have you been working on lately? A lot of Fatal Attractions episodes. I'm always curious to see what you're watching on Twitter because you post um updates of what you're streaming for the podcast and it's always interesting so yeah um at the moment it's kind of i wouldn't say it's going it's appearing to go into a transition um okay. without saying too much um right. not saying we're stopping or anything else like that it's just we're trying to get more guests on we're trying to get more uh, more variety on and 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 everything like that um at the moment, it's going really well. Um, I think since we've last spoke, we had uh, Michael Morhan on from who the director of um, The Voyeurs, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, he's come on twice oh, nice. um, to talk, and 
he's been fantastic. He's he's really like generally really really fun, and has a really spirited view on on erotic thrillers. And I think one thing I really liked about being able to speak to a director like himself is not only his like knowledge of it all and how much he loves erotic thrillers, but I really enjoyed just how he talked about like his own film, um, how he oh, talked, nice. talked about the Voros and and how he you know, how he talked about putting it together and, and working with Sidney Sweeney and and all that stuff. It was really interesting to see and for me as someone who likes who's a, who you know amateur photographer and takes photography and takes pictures of people mm-hmm. um just to see that in the voyeurs and 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 him kind of nailing that and, and me going yes yes amateur <laughs> photography can be very very like that it's there's a there's a dark side of this because there's a dark side of all of this um all this stuff on on the internet that we do especially mm-hmm. when we, we we like to pretend to be creative or, or we are creative or, or anything like that. So I think I really enjoyed talking to him about that. And then he came on again, which was really good. Um, but Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was great fun. It sounds like it. I know I always love seeing the photography that you post because it's always very creative. You work with your models extremely well. They all have personalities that shine through so uh, how long have you been doing photography I got my camera at age 30 so so I I was working in um in shopping tv I was working as an assistant producer for Mm -hmm. live tv um when I was about 29 30 and I I just had a phone camera at the time and um I was taking pictures of graffiti all around mm-hmm. where I where I was living. And then I kind of came back and on my 30th, my wife bought me a DSLR. Mm-hmm. Um and I haven't really looked back ever since. I think I need to kind of work on certain things a little bit more, but um <laughs> it's one of the it was it was just a it was just something that kind of took over and it was I still view it more as a hobby than anything else. Yeah, um, a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think it's needed. Um, I think one thing it really helped me do is look at how I look at. Um, not, not, um, will I say the visuals, like the visuals and editing of things? Yeah, in a completely different way. Um, I find it really interesting now that we. Um, how can I say this? We. We're really modern. A lot of modern filmmakers really into kind of I wouldn't say pretentious, like longer shots, mm-hmm. um, and it really or, or moving shots. So the camera's always moving or, or doing something for no, almost for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I really liked about being and like doing my own photography and now looking at film again is when people take time with shots and when they kind of yeah. do an establishing shot or the camera moves for a reason or or anything else like that. I mean, right now, there was, there was a tweet that was talking about, that someone mentioned about, um, if you've seen a lot of modern movies recently, nearly all the drone shots are just going upside down. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> to show that the world is upside down and it's just yeah. a very <laughs> lazy shortcut type thing mm-hmm. to kind of highlight that. And um, it's it's a weird tangent and it's a weird kind of t- tangential connection, but it's interesting when you put yourself just behind a camera, whether it's moving or not, or, or it's a moving image or not, and just trying to block and things together for the way you want it to be and to yeah. have people kind of kind of interact with it i mean i'm really happy that you like i'm always gushing when someone says that like the models i work with have a have a connection because i think that's the most important thing it's never been the camera itself mm-hmm. um it's how you work with people yeah and absolutely yeah, and I see that, and I think it would help with your analysis, and also just paying attention, um, being behind the camera of exactly what you said, being able to appreciate and see why someone moves the camera, especially if they're they're good at what they're doing. They're not just like kid in a candy store. Ooh, I can move the <laughs> camera for no reason. Yes, and I think um, you know we're dealing with a couple of really innovative filmmakers today. And I was going to ask you before we dove in, have you covered these movies at all? We're talking about Richard Gere for those listening and the films. First, uh, Leslie did choose Looking for Mr. Goodbar, but it isn't available streaming in America at all, unfortunately. So we thought we should probably stick with something that people could track down based on our conversation. So we went with American Gigolo an officer and a gentleman and breathless. So early Richard Gere. And I was going to ask yes. you, if, uh, obviously wouldn't be an officer and gentleman. That's not neurotic thriller, but the other films, have you covered those on fatal attractions yet? So we haven't done breathless yet, but I think we should. Um, yeah. But the reason why I picked um, Richard Gere is because of American Gigolo. Um, there you go. It was, Schrader um, comes up in conversation a lot for us because of his his um, his kinks, so to speak, the things yes. that he's um, And I found myself kind of astounded. Um, I, I was born in the 80s, 84, mm. so I kind of missed all that earlier stuff of gear. There wasn't really any reason for me to kind of go back and like by the time I came out and I was on a certain age pretty woman was the big Richard Gere movie yes and mm-hmm. then ever and then afterwards you you saw him in a lot of kind of a certain type of romantic comedy and a certain type of or romantic drama mm-hmm. and let's let's be completely honest with ourselves like a lot of a lot of kids my age at the time wouldn't be going to watch Richard Gere movies um um, a lot, of, a lot of straight, straight men wouldn't be going to yeah. watch Gear movies. And then we watched America. Then we picked American Gigolo, and I can't remember who who out of the four of us on um, Fatal Attractions picked it. Mm-hmm. But I was just astounded because it was just a a side of Richard Gear that I just I never knew. And it's one of those things on where I you see it on you see it on social media a lot where younger critics or younger film goers suddenly watch something from um from a, an actor a, an established actor and they mm-hmm. realize that they've got this range and you see older critics kind of kind of be really snobbish and be like oh you didn't know that of course this actor this actor could do this 
But for me, one of the things I found really interesting was just I just didn't know mm-hmm. he he had this kind of dark, really all like the films that we picked. I mean, even though we didn't pick, even though we couldn't, we haven't got um, looking for a good bar. I wanted to write about it, and I, I still need to go back and write about it because he's only he's in it as a side character. Yes. There's a sexual energy and tension that he brings and swagger mm-hmm. and and everything. And it's just like, I just never knew he did this kind of thing. I never knew. I never, it, it was never, it never came to me at this point in time. And the thing, I'm, I, I couldn't f- think of someone uh, like another modern actor who had this, who had a similar kind of swagger. I mean, there's something about, say, like Ryan Gosling that's kind of got something kind yeah. of like that. It's kind of quiet confidence. Um, but I just really, it's really bad of me, but I really fell in love with the, the kind of narcissistic tendencies that um, Gear shows in like all these movies because I just yes. wasn't prepared for it. And it just, I think where, once he goes along and he gets a little bit older, we we don't see that anymore in, in such a way. I mean, you do see it in something like um, Unfaithful. Yep. Um, which we did on the, on the podcast as well. But I just found them to be really interesting, really complex. He, I like, every, like everything that we talk about today has a kind of, there's an element of Americana about it. There's a slight... Mm-hmm rebellious 50s style almost James Dean type type thing going on um but he's so charming and he's got this interesting smile about it but he's also really impulsive in nearly everything that we're we're talking about today especially like in Breathless but I really love that aspect of it because I never really expected it from him I I, by the time I grew up he was in his 50s and now he's yeah. 70s and, and whatnot. And then you, you're looking back and it's just an interesting early career to, to see. It is. He had a sense of daring and wanting to explore different sides of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like um, the reason he did American Gigolo is he liked the sort of gay subtext or the panic that went through the movie. So he kind of rushed right towards these things in these films like um, I think his first huge um, role of acclaim on the stage was actually in London. He did um, a production of Bent in 1979. So directly oh, wow, right okay. before American Gigolo. And um, he was very excited to be playing a gay character and then um, took on American Gigolo. And he said it was because he said as a heterosexual man, this wasn't an avenue that he had explored and he was curious and he was fascinated by, um, you know, those sides of masculinity and different ideas. And I think, you know, he really took a lot of risks in these early roles, like looking for Mr. Goodbar and also a lot of these films that like John Travolta had turned down, (laughs) which is really, really funny. And, um, yeah. And I mean, they actually did later on in his career, too, because he took on Chicago and that was offered to John Travolta as well. So he kept yeah. getting John Travolta's roles as early as like Days of Heaven. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's quite interesting as well that we pick up this kind of 
gay subtext because yeah. it's it's no surprise that the tabloids kind of went for him at some yes, point they did. Mm-hmm. with the with the ridiculous rumors of yeah god god knows what yeah um and you can kind of tell that was kind of oh this guy is doing obviously quite successful in what he's doing so we need to try and find a, a way of taking yeah. it down a notch and it's, he's it seems kinky. to me that they, yeah yeah so they couldn't really find any anything so they just made up a kind of um crazy rumors uh, uh, yeah a really ridiculous rumor um but the like what i find really interesting uh, about the films that we're talking about was he didn't the sexual scenes in there are not particularly male gazy um they're no. very mm-hmm. just kind of i wouldn't matter say platonic yeah, yeah. They're, they're matter of fact and they're, they're quite platonic isn't the right word but ma- matter of fact is a probably a better way of describing them yeah the other thing is we talk so much now about what is shown on screen as I well and, and how it's shown on screen and Mm-hmm. And especially from usually from a female perspective, um, things things about breasts or, or genitalia or, or anything mm-hmm. else like that. And the two of these films, you've got very just brazen male nudity. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and it's done in such a such a simple, simple and effective way. And there's no, it's so natural. There's no shock. Yeah, there's yeah. no shock. It's it's part of the scene. It's part of what's going what's going on in the scene, and mm-hmm. it's actually really stylistically done. And as so, as someone who's uh, as a, uh, who's a photographer, it's one of those things on where, for me, I've never wanted to shoot, never really wanted to shoot nudes mm-hmm. that much because I've it's amateur photography, so you see a lot of badly lit nudes <laughs> when yeah. you just see you see people just wanting to just shoot the naked body just for the sake of shape shooting the naked body yeah and you're watching this and it's actually quite helps tell the story and it helps kind of put some place and situation in there um it doesn't feel like the sitcom l thing where the man's cut, like chest that um the covers down to his chest and yeah the up to the breath type thing it's it's really interesting to see, but it just daring is the right word. I think one yeah. of the things I really liked liked about all this stuff is he was just willing to play with the masculinity in mm-hmm. in so many ways. I mean, we're talking about officer and a gentleman, and obviously, yeah. it's the navy, and there is that yep. kind of element of, of of homosexuality in there, even though there's a lot of women in the in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of um, like male friendship, which is quite interesting. Camaraderie, yeah, yeah. As as a as a film that is usually said said like kind of is squarely aimed as a romantic drama, mm-hmm. the, the male um, friendship angle that kind of comes in there is actually quite interesting. I don't think quite it's completely. Yeah, I don't think it completely works as much as well now. I think I wish there was a couple more scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really, really good from them as actors. I really like what they do as actors. Yeah. Um, because you just don't see anything like that anymore. I mean, I'm trying to, well, I hate saying that because it it's there in certain things. You have to kind of really dig for it. Um, but 
it's really interesting to see that on what was a, a, a mainstream movie and a, and a big one and a popular one at the time as well. Yes. Well, kicking things off with American Gigolo, it's a film I discussed with Karina Longworth last year, um, sort of in conjunction with her erotic 80s season of You Must Remember This. And then it also kind of goes in hand in hand with an early episode of this season that I did devoted to Paul Schrader. We didn't choose American Gigolo because um, actually Megan Abbott and I like the film, but we don't love it as much as other people do. There are aspects of it that we do love. The performance of Richard Gere is phenomenal. Um, so we chose other Paul Schrader movies, but this is a really good sort of uh, sister episode. You can listen to them back to back or brother episode because we are talking about Schrader <laughs> and Gere. And so let's dive in with American Gigolo. Talk to me about this one. Well, this was the one that made me just realize that Gear was just an interesting screen presence in general. Yes. Um, one of the things I like about all three of these movies is they kind of build up his introduction either way. Like the first, like with Officer and Gentleman and, um, and breathless is like a cold open before the titles even come up and he's just kind of, <laughs> kind of yes. introduced by his shoes or what he's wearing or just yeah. his movement his car um, very yeah, consumerist ex exactly and then with this one uh, with american Triglo, that's the thing it's the shot of the car the shot of the headlights it's got almost like a mm -hmm. michael mannish kind of shot on the headlights and shots of everything else but what i really love is like when he's on the phone Mm -hmm. And he's on the phone and he, he's just got off from doing those kind of upside down pull ups. And even that's just a really strange, odd visual to see from, from the first, like from the first moment. And he's there and he's kind of tensing and, and kind of working out the kinks of his body and, yes. and everything else like that. And unlike now where everyone's kind of hyper muscular, he's just got this leanness about him. And yeah. he, he moves through the scene so effort, effortlessly. He just kind of glides through scenes. And it just it just caught me off a loop. I like the film more this time around than I did when I first watched it um, for Fatal Attractions. I think there's a lot to take from it, just from the fact that it's a... Uh, excuse me. It's... um. I don't want to put too much into spoilers, but it's a film where the characters kind of lose, uh, but they, yeah. they still gain something, but they, they still kind of lose. And it's very that, Schrader in that respect. It goes very much so, all yeah, of his I, other man in a room. Yeah. Rooms. Yeah, like, yeah. He loves the whole, you know, God, God's lonely man type thing. And yeah. one of the things I really love about this is just, he's not, he's not afraid to show that, you know, there's this whole facade and you, the more it starts peeling away, there's more this character kind of, you start to be enticed by his character a lot more. You start to get more absorbed in what he does. And yet he, and then it kind of hits at the end and you're like, Oh no, Oh, no one's going to get away with it. No, this isn't good. Like this, <laughs> this is, this isn't what we expected. And yeah, that's the thing that really, that I really got about it. I mean, I really love it as a new noir. Um, looking back at 
looking back at it now after um i recently just wrote uh an essay for the 90s film the hotspot um oh wow i'm discussing that next week that's interesting great great movie um it's just got it's had a new release on blu-ray and um i was allowed to kind of they allowed me to write about it oh my god (laughs) and um Mm -hmm. one thing i and one thing i like like about i had to kind of delve back into some of the films i've seen before and kind of all all the new neo-noirs from the past and it's one thing I really liked about stuff like the hotspot or even Traders Hardcore or anything else like that is they just weren't afraid to make these things seem so nihilistic and cynical and and yeah. dark. Um, but not in not that kind of exploitative no, yeah. not in that kind of in that sad way or that, that shock way, not in a mm-hmm. I think the best way to say it, not in a Lars von Trier way. Um where it just seems to be like a slap in the face more than anything yeah. else. And I mean that both figuratively and literally because it's Lars von Trier. Um, <laughs> well, I like what you were saying about the physicality because I think that is a big aspect of gear. He had a background uh, doing gymnastics in college and he excelled at it. Um, and you do see his sort of live um, gymnast body in the film. And also what's interesting is I read an interview where John Travolta once said that his way into any character is how they walk. Like as soon as he finds yes. the walk, he knows what that man is like. And when I was writing about American Gigolo several years ago, I did like a thread on Twitter about it. I opened with that walk because it's kind of Panther-like that yes. Richard Gere is doing. It's like a strut or a himbo yes. strut or an F-mode strut, essentially. <laughs> like, you know, he's on the prowl and he's trying to seduce everything in sight. And it's a very physical performance. And yeah. uh, I like that sort of, because at first you think there's nothing about Travolta and Gear that you could see them overlapping, but you can definitely sense that they are interested in the physical side of their characters and getting that right. And then maybe working inward instead of the other way around, possibly. I mean, I'm not speaking for them. um, (laughs) You you say that you're not speaking for them, but it's very hard. Like one of the reasons why I wanted, I wanted to do um, looking for Mr. Goodbar is because gears performance in that is so Saturday night live. Oh, Saturday night (laughs) fever. Sorry. Sorry. Oh my God. Saturday night fever. Um, there was this. He just crackles when yeah. he's on screen. It's just this kind of he's he's. You know that moment in Fight Club where um, Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt takes um, Marla Singer, Helen Bonham Carter out of her um, apartment, and the SWAT team kind of comes in, and mm-hmm. there's that moment where you just see Brad Pitt. He's just clicking and and yeah, it's almost like, vibrating. Yes. Yeah, nervous energy. Yep, and gear is like that all the way through. Looking for Mister Goodbar, like all the yeah, way through. Yeah, there's it. an electricity. Mm-hmm. Yes, but yeah. what I love about him in American Gigolo is this sense of control. It is. Uh, that's one of my issues with the film. Actually, is it's it's extremely icy, which is a Schrader thing because he grew up in the Dutch Calvinist religion where nobody yes. touched anybody, and he was <laughs> an extremely late bloomer. Uh, sexually and just um, in terms of his interaction with other people, like normal human interactions. And so this was around the time he said that he was just enjoying as a straight man, 
going to gay clubs and dancing. Just he yeah. liked being around the sense of camaraderie and what it was like just, you know, letting himself go or having um, a free evening of dance. And yeah. so um, you do see that, that there is this sense of control uh, with gear. I like what you were pointing out with the consumerism of the film, too, because it does open with Blondie's Call Me and there's a car <laughs> and then yeah. sort of the fetishization of of his of his clothes i love how he's picking out like shirts and there's blue shirts at the beginning of the movie and at the end when he's in a very different place wearing a blue shirt so yeah there's there's all kinds of stuff um i think the wardrobe was a big aspect of his character i mean the room itself that whole house the whole house such a good point yeah the the whole house is this kind of weird trying to you tap right in yeah. yeah, and and this is this is 1980. This is not nice. Like this isn't like this is the uh, like the earliest of the 80s. So yeah, it's almost like a signifier of, of where we're gonna go into. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah the beginning of, of, of Reagan and yeah. just that element of call me and and the way. Well, I mean, the one thing I absolutely love is the way he has that great conversation with Bill Duke quite early in the film, and he's just looking over at. at, at, at the woman on the on the other other table, mm-hmm. and there's just all the way through it. You can just get the sense that like he can own anything in in mm-hmm. like, he's got, and and that's the thing. And there's so much talk about money in that scene as well as beforehand as well. And it's just fascinating to see that like, he just seems to have this ownership of everything. Like I say, it's this element of control and ownership and. Yeah, it's all very. It all seems very superficial because it is to a point, and that's what I, I think. That's what I liked about this film this this time round is watching this kind of superficial aspect of it kind of break away. And by the end of it, he's he's looking haggard and beaten, and and his body body language is different. And everyone's talking about how tired he looks, and everyone yeah, he's slouching, he's and slouching, and, and yes. the five o'clock shadow and everything else like that. And it's a real kind of metamorphosis all the mm-hmm. way through and it's that's what i really liked about uh about this and also it's one of the <laughs> not a laugh because it's one of those films of um i can never say her name it's um nina and it always makes me laugh because she's just in loads of these movies um uh, so nina van Halland or pal uh or nina van Halland, i think mm-hmm. danish retired singer and actress and she turns up in Cutter's Way, and she turns up in The Long Goodbye. She turns up in American Jiggler. She's just in all these neo-noirs. And she's this kind of, I would say, like an I like an like a motif of this weird kind of sexual motif or trophy, blonde, blue eyes, Danish, Scandinavian. Thing a and mirage, yeah, yeah, like this, this kind, of, this kind of mirage, and she's, she's in all the those three movies that I just mentioned, and one of the things I kind of really find funny is how Gear has all this control over her at the beginning. It's just like he's allowed to set his terms, he's allowed to set mm-hmm. how the money is, he's allowed to do this. All he has to do is learn Swedish. Yeah, um, that's one of like it's one of the reasons why I. I Kind of don't like the idea of him being called a himbo in this because he's really intelligent and 
I don't oh, think yeah. he hides it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't I don't think he hides it in any shape or form. And he he may have had nothing at one point in time, but now he has all this material goods and and everything. And him and him and Nina at this time are having this kind of back and forth all the way through the film. And it's just watching how that control kind of ebbs and flows and moves away from him. I just find fascinating all the way through it. She only comes, she only turns up a couple of times as a kind of madam um, to him. But when she does, they, they, they get into it and they're always kind of engaged. And there's always this kind of weird little battle going on. And I love that. I think that's just absolutely fascinating to watch. And it's, I think it's also credit to Gear as well because the amount of when we're watching these movies, the amount of times he bounces off his his um, female um, counterparts are just is always so interesting. He he really gets interesting things out of all of them every time. Yeah, um, possibly maybe not um, uh, the poor the poor French actress in um, in Breathless, but we can get onto that. Yes. I know it's he is somebody who defines his whole worth and his whole currency is being sexually desirable. It's almost like money is sort of um, and all of these goods are a way of keeping score. But he's getting off on having this power, this control, this ability to set the terms himself and a sense of um, cockiness or swagger or entitlement. Like when he sees uh, the scenes you were talking about, he feels above the other um, hookers or the the high-end uh escorts the female ones uh like he doesn't want to hang out with them and he wants to make sure he's either splitting or getting more uh than than she is because he has repeat clients who are loyal and um you know he has this sense of I am better than you and then by the end of the film you can tell he just really knows he's sort of kept people at an arm's length and what he needs is people on his side and he's sort of um made himself an island of one through the whole yeah thing. yeah i mean it goes back to what we well when we were when our first time when we, we when i was first on the show is human connection yes uh, <laughs> and it's i think that's what the thing i really really enjoy about this is how he is kind of self-deluded and arrogant and he believes that he doesn't need that kind of human connection or he Mm -hmm. fakes it a lot. I mean, so much of this is about him kind of being on the pretense of, of human connection. Yes. That's a really like, that's something that I find really, really interesting, especially considering the director that we're talking about. um, Mm -hmm. Of course, Raider. Um, I really love the fact that when those conversations that he has with um the love interest there um lauren hutton um who plays michelle stratton are really interesting that first meeting where he kind of thinks that it's a new trick that he can go up and kind of play the moves on and then they end up having this kind of fumbling conversation and he tries to regain the control of the conversation back and she's kind of hugging at certain strings to try and find out a little bit more of him and, and everything mm-hmm. else like that. And I love that because you can just see him just starting to unravel a little bit. Usually he would have probably, in a different situation, he would have probably just walked away and just 
Yeah. Was it? But here, obviously, it's a film, so he's not going to walk away. But you can kind of <laughs> tell, you can kind of tell by what she's saying to him that he's he's kind of interested. Yes. Um, but also, it's this thing on where when he actually talks into why he does what he does, mm-hmm. and he talks about how how great it is to make to 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 give these middle aged women a, a spark. Yeah. It's this kind of weird thing where it's like. He sees it as he doesn't see it as human connection. He sees it as this thing as I, I, almost like he's engaging with an engine mm-hmm. of, a, of an old car. He he really ob- objectifies them in that way, and I just love the fact that again how that gets broken down and how that kind of gets kind of pulled apart and and how he realizes that the that what he's doing is is a lie and he's not only lying to himself but he's lying to the people that he's. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he's working with and working for and 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 everything else like that. I think I find that I again I find it endlessly fascinating. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else you want to go into on this one, or should we move on to an officer mm-hmm. and a gentleman? Yeah, let's let's move on to an officer and gentleman. I've yes. never seen it before, so. Oh wow! Well, this is 1982. Taylor Hackford, director. He also directed, of course, Against All Odds. Yes. You have the screenwriter Douglas Day Stewart, uh, an officer and a gentleman. You have Gear and Deborah Winger. Everyone knows the end of the movie. Way to go, Paula! Where he gets yeah. her in the, <laughs> the paper factory. Although it is, you know, she puts on his navy hat, and they, you know walk out of the factory together although it's kind of like who is rescuing who as uh gear says you know it's on paper it looks like one thing but when you actually think about the movie it's different than what it appears everyone knows the music of course up where we belong uh you know power ballads of the early 80s (laughs) and it also garnered uh Louis Gossett Jr., a an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He is amazing in this movie yeah, as the drill really sergeant. Good. He was kept separate from the rest of the cast uh, in order to kind of intimidate them, which I like a little bit. It's sort of uh, <laughs> behind the scenes how they did that. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, a film I saw way too young like middle school uh i think i watched it on tv actually but what was funny is i remember because my dad loves this movie and then yeah. he gave like my brother and i this really weird speech uh he tried to teach it uh, turn it into a teaching tool about you know when you date people you shouldn't manipulate them and don't be trashy and like i was in middle school but, uh, <laughs> so it was a weird introduction to an officer and gentleman but a film I hadn't seen in forever, and I was surprised how much of it came right back. So I'd love yeah. to know your thoughts on this one. Well, again, I I've never seen I, I I've never seen it. Um, so immediately I'm watching this, and unfortunately, the first films that came to mind were Stripes and <laughs> Same and Police era. Academy. <laughs> it was I think it was just that thing in the eighties where it's just like yes. let's get them. In the army or uh, the police Private force, Benjamin and, yeah, yeah. And just easily, just you can kind of garner drama out of that quite easily, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it. Um, yeah. It's a tougher film than I ever expected. It's very gritty. Um, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, Taylor Hackford goes on to make against all odds, which I did do on, on another podcast. We talked about that and wasn't the biggest fan of that. Um, no, that, mm-hmm. no, that was, um, that was a, um, cause that's a remake from, um, oh, what's it called? Against all odds, a remake of out of the past story. The yes. Robert Mitchell yeah. film. I called and, the uh, Hackford one trash tastic. Yeah. It, there's some weird things going on in that and yes. it's, it doesn't it doesn't work but here i think it really does work a lot a mm-hmm. lot more i think it kind of loses itself in the end of the film um a little bit mm-hmm. just because there's something it goes into really dark territory it almost goes into this kind of again saturday night fever dark dark territory mm-hmm. and you brought up the way to go Paula and I sit there and I go that's not right I'm sorry that character shouldn't be allowed to say that there's just an element of yeah of I don't she's not allowed to get away with that and I don't want to say too much again I don't want to spoil it too much I know the film is almost 40 years old but there is something about that moment that I wouldn't say rankles me um but it just kind of it, it doesn't work. Um, it's I a think little we, fairy tale after what we just saw, especially with yes. um, with exactly what Leslie was talking about earlier, uh, the sense of male camaraderie and the friendship. Something very dark happens in the last act of the film, and it's just beyond devastating. And so it is weird a couple scenes later to sort of have this sort of bow on it a little bit. It's it's very 80s and prepackaged and um yeah i can see maybe the same it's an iconic moment but uh maybe yeah i think we were missing something or the tone just is a wild swing yeah, yeah. and the music now as well i know <laughs> it's, it's it's power ballads and everything but yeah like same with um same with american jiggle so they've got this kind of main song yes and then there's a, there's a kind of refrain all the way through it. And um, mm-hmm. with Call Me, it's not too bad in American Jiggler, but in this, there's something about that song uh, like where, where where we belong. It's just a bit too... It's just a bit too much when you're hearing it on these kind of upper sequences, yes. especially when you're seeing like... What happens like, to someone. Just trying to, yes, yeah, try to struggle and, and, and get... And, 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 kind of build them up by them bootstraps basically um some of it doesn't work as well uh, musically uh sonically but there's um there's a great again it's, it opens really really well really really yes strong. it That's sets up a character like, what yeah. movie am i watching because yeah. yeah it feels like apocalypse now for a minute yeah <laughs> but it sets up it Let's sets see, up the character yeah. beautifully yeah yeah, and and you, you got Robert Lozier in there, and yeah, he's just like he's really tough and mm-hmm. and just not lovable and difficult. And there's that there's that moment he kind of gets up, and it's all what I love about the opening. It's almost as if he gets up and decides then and that moment he wants to join the navy, like mm-hmm. his dad. Um, it doesn't seem like it was any, it was really thought through. It just seems like, like I'm I'm just doing this. Yeah, and there's that element of the, the the bullying and everything else like that. And 
the thing is about what I like about Gear is when he smiles, it's a, it's a really charming, cheeky smile. But when he's quite solemn, you can just mm-hmm. see it in his eyes. There's a really kind of soulful look in his eyes. Yeah. And it's brilliant him just looking over his dad at that point in time and just kind of waiting, contemplating, and his dad's drunkenly asleep with mm-hmm. two... Two. With two sex workers, and he's just kind of like, you can just see him working in his head what he wants to do, and yeah. it just feels like he's just going to go up and and up on sticks there. And again, he he seems to be humming and crackling with energy. Um, even here, when it's actually quite so, like quite a somber moment, he seems to be just just waiting for his moment. Yeah. I really, yeah, I I really like that. I really like the arrogance of of the character again the way it kind of breaks through he's finding you know he's making little gigs and and getting um pay people to pay, um paying people to shine their belt buckles and hiding them and doing all these little things mm-hmm. and then and it all it just kind of throws you off it's like so why have you joined the navy what's going on so obviously the other big moment in in this the whole i've got nowhere else to go yeah um it, it does it i think it still plays i think it really hits really well the idea that he's just doing it for the sake of doing it and then when he he's actually asked and forced to, to kind of confront himself yeah you, know, you really feel for him at this at this moment in time i think it's i think it's a really tough moment where he's there turning around going I don't have anything else if I don't yeah. do that so yeah. I'm, you I'm taking up, all these risks in order to do that yeah you brought up a lot of really good points there especially that opening um seeing uh, we have a flashback and basically seeing his upbringing with uh Robert Logia's character and what he's become and you can tell he just wants an escape hatch he wants to get away from this but he doesn't yes. know exactly what he wants and i think that is really interesting the film of course has uh, a romantic plot involving Deborah Winger and he tells her later on that he had actually never had a girlfriend and that's kind of how that plays but at the same time of equal importance is him having genuine friendships or someone he can look up to or who's challenging him for the better and he gets that in all of these different relationships um, with his main buddy in the film that's a friendship yeah. And his sense of camaraderie with uh, like a female candidate, not romantically at all, just platonically wanting the best for her. And mm. of course, David Caruso's character and other people who are in the ensemble, just the sense of we're going to root for each other. And yeah. then, of course, with Gossett Jr. Um, being sort of a different type of father figure or someone who is like, you might have this potential, but you actually have to do something. You can't take those shortcuts with the belt buckles. You have to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, I find it really encouraging that you you watch this film and it's not just the shortcuts aspect of it. It's the idea. It's like, we're in this together. Yes. This is your fellow man. 100%. This is, this is, this is, it's other people. You have to rely on other people. They can rely on you. Yeah. Um, And that's, it's weird because we're in a modern, like you look at modern film making mm-hmm. now and we're 
I think there's a lot of argument about franchises. There's a lot of arguments about stuff like Star Wars or yeah. or Marvel or DC Universe or anything else like that. And you're watching, ultimately, you're almost watching gods. These people who have just been chosen by mythical forces who don't really need anyone. Um, mm-hmm. They're all very like like muscle bound superheroes and and everything else like that who don't really need anyone they've got they're blessed with superpowers and they're there to save the world and they can do it by themselves yes mm-hmm. they may they may be in teams but they're not really in teams they're, they're just kind of they they can do it by themselves half of the time mm-hmm. um and the thing that i really like about this is it's telling turning around and going no if you want to save the world in real life, you need other people around you. Yeah. And I and I love that aspect of it. And I love there's that the that the 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 moment that really got me and the the the, film, the the moment I knew the film had won me over mm-hmm. was the fight sequence near the end. Oh yes. With Louis Louis, Louis Gossett Jr. and um and Richard Gere. And mm-hmm. There is just, like he's learned so like by the time it gets to that point, this character Zach Zach Mayo mayonnaise um, has learned so much, and yet he's still he there's still this kind of one inkling, this one hump that he has to kind of get over, and it's just uh, Lou Gossett Jr. And he and again, it's almost like Rocky. He loses. He you know it's not a uh, spoiler! It's not this kind of triumphant thing where he he's the young buck that kind of battles and wins against the squad leader. The squad leader. It's like mm-hmm. no, you, you don't seem to understand. I've been doing this for years. I am going to. I am going to bring you down. Like it's a really solid moment, and it's it and it's a kind of moment that you, I don't think we. I think we would do well to see a lot more of in films of characters stumbling they still make it they still grow and they still they still bring something out of it at the end at the end of the film but to see them stumble like that i think it's quite i think it's really well i think it's needed i think it, it rounds the character up a lot a lot more i find i, I, just, I find that I, I just i it really struck me because i was just not prepared for it but then again i wasn't prepared for a lot of the movie um i think the movie's full of these little tidbits and things that are just quite interesting. Like even the way at one point, um, here's Zach's eating like breakfast and he eats, he almost eats like a prisoner. It's all kind of rounded round. Yeah. yeah, And and, and he's just kind of going myself. It's a proper lonely existence type thing there. And Mm -hmm. an element of paranoia. But again, I think, I find it fascinating that him and Deborah Ringer didn't get on. No, not at all. Yeah, I think she and called yeah. him a brick wall, but their chemistry is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. She's yeah. really, really good. And it, I think it's a credit to her and how she makes it work, considering that she really had difficulties. Yeah, um, he, he fully admits that uh, he was not an easy person to work with at that point in his life. Yeah. Mm. I think I just I find that fascinating and yeah I, I I also love like just seeing a young David Caruso because it's just 
I know. It, again, it took just me didn't a expect it. While I was watching, <laughs> I was like, "Is that David? That is." Yes. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Yes. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I. 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 I mean, I do love. I do really. I say love. That's not the right word. But there's that. There is that moment of. Um, in the third act where obviously there's a, a, a tragic incident that occurs. Yeah. You have um, Zach, Richard Gere's character, kind of use the C word um, to kind of kind of just use it as an exclamation point on, on the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And I really, I like those scenes as well. I really like, um, he's quite moving, quite stirring there. And I like how he interacts and I, I like the. You can see him trying to battle with the the family issues with with Deborah Winger's character, and you can see it in his eyes on on what he wants to do, what he's trying to do, how he's viewing things, how he's grappling with it. Um, again, I don't think he gets enough credit for. He was like he. I say he was. He's he's still alive with us at this moment in time. So, but I I don't think we. I don't think we um, give him enough credit for being quite a varied range actor no. and and being a leading man and being a leading man that isn't like a singing and dancing leading man, um, give or take Chicago. Um, but um, being yeah. this kind of guy that kind of allows things to kind of not bounce off him, but he, I don't know, it's all kind of, there's a lot of internal stuff that I really like about it. I, I remember um, one of my favourite uh, film critics, uh, Mark Mode, talking about Gear and how people, he used to get really frustrated about people saying Richard Gear is quite flat. And I don't, I, I agree, I agree with Camone. I don't think he's flat at all. I think he, he actually really brings certain, certain, certain things into, into play. And if he was really that awkward and a brick wall, Mm-hmm. Um, to Deborah Winger, you can see her going right. Well, I'm going to do the best I can to to try and get something out of this for herself, and it allows the chemistry to be cut to to just get to this different height, which is really interesting. Not to say that you know if you're if you're a male actor, you know do the do the work and allow your your female yeah. co-star to, to to work. But um, I find it really, really interesting on, on what he can get out of other people by his interactions and his reactions. I agree I with you. I, yeah. I, I really, really like that. I mean, I love the camaraderie between him and um, and uh, David Keith. Who is so good in the film. My goodness. It's, yeah, it's just this really nice kind of fast friends aspect to it. Yeah. That, it takes them a little while to get used to each other and everything else like that. And that's what I really like. I really like how that kind of blossoms and grows. And unfortunately there's that whole, you know, the horrible incident that happens within that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad that you liked the film and I, I had no idea that you hadn't seen it before. So I'm really glad that you got this much out of it. And I think it's a really good contrast when you talk about um, what he brings out of his co-stars and how that interaction works to mm. take it right over to Breathless, where um, he kind of puts all of his energy and all of his chemistry 
with, I mean, he tries to shag a car, shag a shower head <laughs> in this movie, McBride's Breathless, the remake of The Godard from 83. But he's working with an actress who he has amazing physical chemistry with, but I think her character's underwritten. I don't know if she was maybe the best person for this particular role, but it mm. is a little bit awkward. But the film itself is a blast and a lot of fun. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on Breathless. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting that you say that um, you think the, the, the character's underwritten um, or his uh, for Breathless. Oh, her um, character. Her character, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I find that I, I find it interesting because I don't think guys. I really love the original Breathless, nineteen sixty Breathless. Yes, I, yes. I love, and um, I love what it's doing. I, I, just that element of freewheeling that just comes with it is is really good. Um, but I don't think Jane Seaborg. Um, her character i don't think there's much written on the page there either i agree um, yeah so but i think just her presence and her her character and her charm bring something else out of that movie yes here i, agree I think with it's, you. yeah i think it's a different story mm-hmm. i think um i think the problem is with monica um valerie uh Kaprisky, uh, mm-hmm. I think she's she just seems a little bit awestruck, a little bit starstruck, um, and she's just very wooden. And I think another actress, any uh, uh, another actress, could have easily kind of tapered yeah. over the thinness of the character mm-hmm. because of what they would put into the character. Their energy, and their yes, yeah. yeah, we and need I a think, Seberg, yes, yeah, you do, but. And I, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or a French because they flipped it. Instead of a French it, yeah. man with an American woman, we have a American yeah. man and a French woman in LA this time. Yeah. And I think it is it's just, I think the struggle is the fact that Gear's energy is so high. Mm-hmm. Everything about the film is so high. It's bright visuals, bold colors. Um and Gear is just on one. The music is is rockabilly and it's just it's rattling along and Mm-hmm. Like nothing, nothing stops for a set. Like nothing stops for a second, and Gears right on with that. He's got it. He's he's just completely on board with what's going on. He absolutely loves it. And lots of people have turned around and 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 go, well, why did they remake it? And mm-hmm. I I'm of a belief that Breathless, um, the remake, is a perfectly perfectly valid. Um, remake. I don't think it's done out of uh, any spite or no, not at all. Or you know how they they kind of remake films now, and you just get the feeling that they're they're remaking them because it's an IP and you can gain money out of it and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's been X number of years and it was a hit, so it's a guaranteed hit. No, yeah, I think I think this is I think remembering that obviously that the original breathless is looking at american films and american um cinema and and kind of borrowing liberally from that and creating its own kind of kind of language i think it's quite interesting to see the americans look back at that and go okay we're going to kind of borrow from from a narrative point of view 
and then put our language back onto this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do get it. It's almost like an MTV styling of it all. And I think that's, I think that's perfectly valid. Um, oh, yeah. I think, I think when it comes to American remakes, I can understand why people get really frustrated with them because it depends on how you feel about American filmmaking. Um, but I, I've always really enjoyed American filmmaking and I always feel that there's something to come out of it. I mean, give me the departed all the time. Um, I love the departed because it looks at, um, internal infernal affairs and goes, okay, we're going to do it in Boston and give this kind of nice, rich Boston history to contrast it and, and, and do everything there. And I think it's the same thing with breathless. I think one thing with, with breathless is just looking at the, kind of urban, cool, chic French thing that's going on and going, well, we can't do that. We can't mm-hmm. ape that. We can't we can't mimic that. So we're going to give this this rockabilly, rockabilly in energy. We're going to look at James Dean and, and, and Jerry Lee Lewis and, yeah. and the Silver Surfer and, and, and pop culture and comics and, and everything else like that. And it makes it an American film and it like a, a proper American, uh, American film. It is a film where I get the feeling that I could happily show this to um, the uninitiated, an uninitiated audience and they would get something out of it. And you can show the original breathless to the same audience and they would see certain similarities, but they would get different things out of it and they would both enjoy the film as is. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and I think, I, I think that's really hard to do. <laughs> I really do think that's really hard it to is. do. I think it's, yeah. and, I, and I think it's, there's a lot of good fun in here. I think that the soundtrack's really good. I mean, I'm not really talking about gear here, um, but I think he kind of encompasses all that's good about it. Um, yeah. I mean, the cinematography, the it, it's a gorgeous looking film. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much some of the experimental I mean everyone gives uh, Quentin Tarantino credit like oh this is the movie that inspired true romance because they read you know um, a comic book on their date and there's different aspects but watching it it's hard to imagine you know Sin City Robert Rodriguez without this film yeah. or several other movies you can see kind of um, the filmmakers enjoying aspects of this even somebody like Tony Scott who made True Romance, but some of his other work as well, some of the energy, the fun, it is sort of like a graphic novel come to life uh, yeah. a bit, or like imagining um, Jerry Jerry Lee Lewis playing the Silver Surfer doing a Belmondo impression, but like <laughs> as an American, like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of fun to this movie. You have a scene where uh, Richard Gere is singing Suspicious Minds in order to um, inspire himself to rise to the occasion, shall we say, with uh, a yeah. woman uh, that he's with and he wants to make love to. I mean, there's, it's campy, it's crazy, but it's a hard movie. You can't look away from it. It is endlessly entertaining, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, there was a really good article that I read before we, we were recording um, from a uh, a website called uh, Neotext or neotextcorp.com okay. about Breathless. And um, it talks about it as a portrayal of um, male narcissism. Mm-hmm and toxic masculinity 
Oh, and, all over this movie, yes. Oh, and, and it also kind of plays into the idea that one of the reasons why um, Monica or, or Valerie um, Kapinski is is so flat it kind of helps because she's got no she hasn't got her she's quite defenseless and there's no boundaries and she's yeah, kind of over, yeah. overtaken by um she's overwhelmed yeah oh yeah by 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 the character and she they they don't they don't say oh that means it's a good performance it just means that it's, it kind of helps for this film so to speak um and one of the things about like the suspicious mind um aspects of it is like they talk about the fact that this character is haunted, like Gear's character is haunted mm-hmm. all the time by the 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 cop that he kills mm-hmm. on the way to to um, LA. Yeah, and what he then does is, any time that is like that kind of rises up, he channels his energy into this kind of toxic, narcissistic, sexual energy. Mm-hmm. And I love the i I really love the idea of that because I. Because it's believable. It's it's just this element of him kind of repressing the reality and and going into this almost almost like a fantasy world. Almost yeah. weird, this weird release energy. that he needs. Yeah, yep. and yeah. and the whole comic book aspect of it as well, like him talking about the Silver yeah. Surfer and him trying to him not saying it but paralleling that with his situation there with with this woman he supposedly loves and, and everything mm-hmm. else like that. He could only seem to view the world in these kind of comic strips and in, in this pop culture way. And again, kind of ahead of its time, obviously Tarantino, but obviously where we are now with film and how we are with reading film and people's media yes. literacy <laughs> and, and how they talk about like how they talk about sex scenes and and, and, and looking at sex scenes. Oh, there's no consent and or anything else like that, and all that kind of weird stuff that you get on the hellscape that is Twitter. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just think he he really encompasses all this weird toxic masculinity, and he doesn't have any. He he completely neglects anyone else's feelings. Yeah. Um, to, to kind of get what he wants and he doesn't even know what he wants and again he's just kind of humming and crackling and vibrating with this weird energy just to, and an impulse he's just he just reacts like one thing I like about all three of these movies is they're more about this character his character's impulses than they are about him ever thinking anything through exactly yeah <laughs> kind I'm, of like id boy essentially yeah. hedonist like to the extreme yes yeah whatever he's feeling at that moment he just does he's impulsive yes yeah, yeah. and i and i think it, i think that's i think that's perfect for a, a, an american remake of, oh, of a yeah. french film yeah where it is about pop culture it is about the id it is about just yep. him being the, this egomaniac yes. um and i think he he really just gobbles up the screen with it just unbelievably yeah it's an incredible four alarm fire performance i think yeah yes just just but it's you can see the charm in that yes he's every he's everyone's first bad boyfriend 
that's a good point yeah and he's just he's just got that thing about him that that just makes him constantly engage and you're always your eyes always on him throughout there and it's not as if Valerie Kavinsky's unattractive she's absolutely gorgeous as well but you can see in certain reaction shots she's just like wide-eyed and looking at him and going what do I do next I know yeah she's (laughs) very overwhelmed yes which you would be it's it would be dizzying actually to be opposite that much energy and Mm. not knowing what he's going to do next yes (laughs) even if you're rehearsing and you're doing things you get the sense that gear is sort of you know, there's blocking and then there's whatever gear feels like doing in the moment a little bit. I mean, that could just be, you know, the talent of Richard Gear making everything feel that effortless and natural and that it, yeah. it is extremely blocked and rehearsed, but sure doesn't feel like it when you're watching. Yes. Well, I, I wonder what that was like on um, Days of Heaven. Like, like, yes. Rally, you know, it's just, uh-huh. but, but I also, but I also love the fact that like, because Days of, Days of Heaven was one I really wanted to kind of go back and have a look at um, because I haven't seen it in a long time. But also those early films of Malick had, you know, when you when you look at Badlands, mm-hmm. there's a similar energy with Martin Sheen that you get with Richard Gere in stuff like Breathless, this kind mm-hmm. of weird um, kind of Clyde character from Bonnie and Clyde and this, the, the whole lovers on the lamb aspect of it, and yeah, this this guy's going to get you to do some bad things, and why are you going to follow him? <laughs> yes, there's something about that, and that would have been a, a, an interesting kind of bookend to have days days of heaven, um, with breathless, just because of just what they do. They, I I kind of love that kind of character about it. I mean, one of the reasons I picked when we were talking on Twitter, one of the reasons I picked, um, uh. Richard Gere was just the idea of him. Um, yeah. It was just this. It was just this thing where I I find myself now when I look at films, and I love actors who just completely kind of eat up everything in the screen and just become this thing on on the screen. And I found myself kind of comparing here in these three films or especially breathless to um rosemont pike in gone girl for some reason interesting um, yeah she just kind of takes it over and you're watching them uh, yeah you're yeah. watching her and yeah the thing that i loved about him in american jiggler or anything else like that is like it's you can see it's easy to crush on him and that character you yeah. may not fancy richard gear I, I, I don't remember him being as charming in Pretty Woman, even that's a great movie. Um, yeah, he's playing colder there too because he has to change from start to finish. finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But you're, you're watching him in in this, and it's just like your eyes always on him, and there's something about his smile. There's something about the way he interacts with people. It's just, I want to see more fearlessness like that on screen. And yes. I'm, it's it's not that we're not getting it. I think we keep. I think a lot of people we kind of say, "Oh, they don't make them like this anymore. They, you'll never get this made or or anything else like that." And I, I don't think that's true. I think it is getting made. It's just harder to find. It and is. it's 
it, it doesn't get seen on screens. Like you're not seeing it on bigger screens. You're not seeing it on like mainstream movies. You might have to find the odd Netflix film or, the, uh, or, or an Amazon prime film or something else like that. And you find these kind of characters or even TV now. Mm. Um, I just finished watching swarm um, on Amazon prime and um, the main actress in that is un- it just unbelievable. Incredible. Oh, wow. And harbors all the same kind of toxic traits that we're kind of talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to kind of just mention her name because I don't like the idea of just saying saying this character is Dominique um, Fishback. Okay. Um, just this really really engaging character, and I get the feeling with some someone like Dominique Fishback in in Swarm and here in his early works or something. You may never ever see them again. <laughs> see them again, like play like this, and you just may just absolutely just be in just loving the indulgence of the character at that time, and it just seems to be really fitting, and it just seems to really work for me. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think you know. I'm glad that we decided to look at early Richard Gere because I think there is something about the through line of these films and what he's doing and what he's exploring that makes them really interesting to sort of talk about in concert with each other and uh, also to compare and contrast. So I want to thank you so much for doing this. Before I let you go, are there any other Richard Gere performances that you especially love that you want to recommend people seek out beyond, of course, like Looking for Good Bar, the one we we couldn't uh, discuss because it wasn't available. Are there any others? Like from various points in his career. It doesn't have to be early. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I will turn around and say we have to find um, Looking for Mr. Good Bar is one of those unfortunate lost films, which is difficult because of the yeah. Looks like the music rights and and the use of disco. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's almost like a hip hop track where they're finding little bits of samples of stuff and it has to be cleared. So that's probably yeah. that's probably one of the main reasons why we haven't seen it on on screen for just for a long time. I mean, I, I was lucky to just get it on um, um, Paramount Plus in the UK. So I'm wondering what's going on there, um, but. I will turn around and say that he's very good in Chicago, but yeah, Unfaithful is possibly one of the most not talked about movies. I think we've seen on Fatal Attractions, we're coming up to about a hundred, almost a hundred, a hundred episodes. I think we're on ninety-five episodes now. Oh wow! Okay, and. I still find myself every so often just kind of bewitched by how good Unfaithful is as an Adrian Lyne movie and as a um, as a Richard Gere, Diane Lane movie. Um, I think that would be the one that I would um, ask people to go and see because I think it's a really difficult role. Um, it is. Sometimes a phenomenal um, performance in that um but it's one of those things unfaithful is now 20 years old and it's just the kind of adult thriller that i really enjoy watching and it was also and it had the balls to kind of end ambiguously and 
with a certain amount of difficulty. And I would, I, it's one of those films where you, when you, if you watch it with a couple, you, I wonder what the conversations are like. <laughs> like that sort of thing. Have you ever, this is a weird tangent. Have you ever seen the trailer for the 1999 film, The Minus Man? No. Mm-mm. I strongly urge you to, okay. and every, everyone listening to, to find it on YouTube, The Minus Man. Okay. Um, the trailer. I mean, the trailer um owen wilson film before he was owen wilson that we know now i know i saw the film back then but i barely remember it except for owen wilson yes so none of the film is in that none of there's no footage of the film (laughs) in there it is literally just two um a couple walking out of the movie and talking about the movie wow and it's a great great little trailer it's one of those trailers that would be kind of difficult to do again now because if you unless because you see if you know about the minus man you'll be like oh it's just the minus man trailer but it's a great great little piece of marketing and the way they do it is really really good and for me films like unfaithful i want what happens in that trailer to happen to people when they watch that movie if that makes sense <laughs> it's it's it, it, i just love the I, I love hearing people talk about certain films and that would be one I would recommend because I'd love to hear what people have something to something if they've got anything interesting to say about it. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to have to rewatch that because I just did um, Indecent Proposal with Karina Longworth. Okay. Last year, I did a few other Adrian lines with her, and I was also just sent flash dance uh the new 4k so i'm kind of going through an adrian line thing so i think i'm gonna have to um do it unfaithful and then who knows maybe call a friend and we'll we'll shoot a trailer and we'll send it to you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the adrian like you have to well the thing is adrian like he is the the king of the erotic thrillers um, he is the he bard is the... of the 80s <laughs> <laughs> i say that as someone who actually enjoyed deep water as well um <laughs> I did Don't too. Me. Tracy <laughs> Max, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Good fun. Yes. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this. You'll have to come back another time when you have another topic idea. Yeah, I'm sure I will do. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. 
this is Jan Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.